Today we are talking about our next up series. So what would, what this has been uh, is we started it back in October talking about uh, what we're looking at for the next 14 months and how we want to uh, give out of how God has called us, out of how God has provided for us, and then a little bit more. Uh, all the details were covered like in a couple weeks and stuff. So if you're here and all this is totally new to you, there's some books back there on a black table. Uh, this is the guy with the microphone telling you you can stand up, you can walk back there, you can grab a book. Uh, and so for the rest of infinity, you'll know exactly what we're talking about for today. Uh, no pressure on you for anything today. You can go ahead and get a book, and then you'll get caught up with us. Uh, but what we've been talking about uh, is some stuff that we want to do on site here, and we're going to get into that in a bit. Uh, and we're also looking through a book of the Bible. Uh, it's the book of Haggai. And if you're thinking, I don't even know where that is. Uh, if you've got the version app, uh, that sorts the books alphabetically, which is really good for some of us. Uh, it starts with an H and then an A, and you can find it from there. Uh, there's also a QR code in the bottom of your paper. You can scan that thing, and it'll take you directly to the passage about where we're going to be at today. And a lot of, even though the book is called Haggai, the book actually centers around a guy named Zerubbabel, probably because the person writing it only had this much space in the line. He's like, who's this book about? Ooh, is there a shorter option? Oh, that's great. Yes, we'll go with that one. Uh, and, and so we learn about Zerubbabel in a series of four dates. Like the whole book only takes place over the course of a couple months. And so it starts in August. Zerubbabel is the governor of Israel. It's the same Israel that's in the news today. Uh, but they had fallen apart in every way imaginable. And so God used an outside force to draw this country back to him. He's like, hey, I'm going to give you what you want, which is none of me. And in, as a result of that, you're going to get hungry. As a result of that, there's going to be something inside of you that's like, we want that, what we used to have. We want to go back to that. And so they get taken from present-day Israel, moved to present-day Iraq, and there's a group of people who wants to go back. There's a group of people who's praying, God, will you let us go back? And so again, God gives them what they ask for. And so God puts uh, a guy named Darius in charge of this nation of Israel, even though they're captives in present-day Iraq. And he says, Israel is part of my kingdom, and it doesn't look like part of my kingdom, so I'm going to let them go back. I'm going to let them go back to their homelands. I'm going to let them rebuild the stuff. So once again, my kingdom is going to look great. Because bottom line, humans are selfish. And so the guy is asking for selfish things. And God uses the guy's selfish desires to accomplish God's perfect plan. So boom, here goes Israel walking back to where they wanted to be all along. And God says, as soon as you get there, I want you to rebuild my temple. And so as soon as they get there, they start rebuilding their own houses. And God said, I brought you back here for a reason. I want you to rebuild the temple. And they're like, yeah, we'll get to it. And then after two years, in the month of August, we see the first like de decisive moment in Zerubbabel's life. And God speaks through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel. And he says, why are you living in luxury when my house lies in ruins? And the problem with being Zerubbabel at that point is he's the one in charge. Like, he's on the front lines. He's not the guy who's listed at the very last of the credits. He's the first. He's the headliner. He's the star. And so God shows up and says, okay, you're in charge. Why is this happening? And so Zerubbabel, since he's in charge and since he's a good guy in the book, he immediately takes responsibility. He immediately moves into action. And that's in uh, August 29th. He hears the rebuke and he responds in obedience. A month later, on the 21st night of September, we don't know that it's night, but now it's stuck in your head. 
God shows up again. And, and as Zerubbabel is, is responding, as he's trying to get people excited, God sees what's going on and says, I'm going to match that obedience with enthusiasm. And so he fills Zerubbabel with an excitement to get people around him excited in their task of rebuilding God's temple. And so the work starts to get easier. That's how it is so often with obedience. Like you step one, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm, I'm going to invest. I'm going to obey like I'm supposed to. And it's really difficult to get that rock moving uphill. And then after a while, stuff starts to happen in a good way. And everything goes downhill in a good way. Like that saying could mean good or bad, and it happens in a good way. And so for Zerubbabel, people are excited. Encouragement is spread because he's a leader who's making a difference. And then it goes September, October, or August, September, October. And they get a lot of work done. They get the foundation built for the temple. And a lot of the people who are there are older people who had seen what the temple used to be like before present-day Iraq came in and, and flattened everything and took the best and the brightest away. And they're looking at everything, and they're saying, this is not the way that it used to be. This is not good. This is way worse, way less than it was. And when everyone else loses hope, God strengthens Ruval and fills him with hope even when there is none. And so they continue the work, and that, and that takes us to December, where we are now. He's December 18th. He's only got six shopping days left until Christmas. Uh, but this is what God says to him in Haggai 2, starting in verse 20. He says, on that same day, December 18th, the Lord sent this message, the second message to Haggai. It says, tell Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, that I am about to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow royal thrones and destroy the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overturn their chariots and their riders. Their horses will fall and their riders will kill each other. So he's saying there's going to be destruction. There's going to be darkness. And in the middle of it, I'm with you. When that happens, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will honor you, Zerubbabel, son of Shilatul. My servant, I will make you like a signet ring on my finger, says the Lord, for I have chosen you. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, has spoken. Like God goes from calling him out for his disobedience to calling him family. There's a commitment there. There's a covenant there. It's a type of life that for those of us in here who are following Jesus, like we're already called out by our sin. And Jesus' work on the cross for you and for me makes us not just called out, but now called in and called family. It's one of those pictures in the Bible of the life that we want to live toward. Nobody in here, regardless of how you stand with Jesus, wants to be a disaster. Like we want good things to follow us. We want to make a positive difference in the world. And God is saying in this instance, here's somebody who I've equipped to make a difference in the world. And so I want to look at a few things that he did that God's calling us to do today. How can we live like Zerubbabel? How can we model this? And he had his, his August thing where God said, why is my temple in ruins and everybody's living in luxury? And, you know, just like him, we've talked about this for the last couple of weeks. I'll bring it up again, is, is following Jesus with our wallet means that we commit to obedience and tithing. God has a plan for every part of our lives, financial life included. 
And so if 100% that comes in is from God, God has the right to tell all of us how to spend our money. And what he tells us is I want 10% to go back to the church. Why? Because the church is going to serve you. The church is a place where you serve. And also the church is going to be what takes my good news everywhere on the planet. Because there's people just like us at one point who have no clue who Jesus is, who need to know who Jesus is. That's true locally, as true nationally, as truth globally. And just like for Zerubbabel, just like in the book, just like for us, the problem for us isn't resources. The problem, as it always has been for us, is us deciding I'm no longer going to be number one in my life. I'm not going to be the God that I worship in the, in the morning when I look at my face in the mirror. I'm going to actually let God tell me what to do with my money. I'm going to let God be God of my finances. We go from robbing God to obeying God. But the thing is, is it's going to cost. It's going to cost 10%. The challenge through this whole series has been that for us all to take a step of obedience, to take a step toward generosity. And you can't take a step toward generosity if you're not yet obeying. That's like having chocolate for all of your meals. Straight up bad idea. But obedience is always going to cost something. There's a moment where Jesus is talking uh, to some people, and he says this, Matthew 11, 28 to 30. It says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Like, that sounds really, really good. What does that rest look like? Take my yoke upon you, and let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So the way that we're going to find rest for our souls is by taking on the weight that Jesus gives us. This is starting to sound like a bit of a paradox. I'm going to feel better by feeling worse. Like, is this the plan? Is this what we're going at? He says, yeah, because my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden that I give you is light. Everything's going to cost us. Taking the easy way out will always cost us more in the long run. It's what we say about sin, that it always takes you further you want to go, costs more than you want to pay, and holds you longer than you want to stay. And so Jesus is saying obedience, yeah, it's going to be something that, that costs. But it's a good cost. If you're a parent in here, uh, yeah, for all of us, we still have this privilege. One day, your kids are going to take your keys. All right? One day, I hope they send Micah because I think I could argue my way out of it. Definitely not with Ellie. Um, one day, my kids are coming for my keys. Right? That's going to be the safest move for the family. Um, I've already taken Anna's because I like to drive and work together. There are times when she gets them because she needs to drive places. But if we're together, I'm driving. Um, one day, they're going to come for my keys. And on that day, it'll be really, really good if they already know how to drive themselves. And over these past two weeks, that's the phase of life that we have entered into. Uh, and I'm not sure how the kids feel about it. Uh, Dorian, let's roll some pictures. Uh, that's not a look of I feel really confident. The, the big guy is. He sure is. What's the next one? Yep. All right. That boy is prepared. Like, I, I, we got in the car. I told Mike, all right, Eden's going to drive. And he said, hold on. I need to run into the house. And he came back out with his helmet. You know, why we're at, you know why we're looking like that? Go to the next one. Yep, because she's driving. All right, for those of you who remember when she was born, she's not 12. 
Uh, actually, 15 and a half, by the way, that uh, the math runs. Um, but she's super happy. Because eventually, obedience is going to be the right thing. And let's go to the last one. If you wonder how to make your kids happy to go to the dentist, right, have the 15-year-old drive. They will be so glad to be at the dentist and to be out of the car. Uh, that is a look of joy and relief, and I thought I was going to meet Jesus, but instead, it's the dentist. We're stepping into long-term obedience that's going to pay off. I mean, for all of us to, to open our wallet, open our heart to what God tells us to do with our finances means that we are going to battle against the God of money, demons of pride and fear and materialism. We're going into battle. But the point is, is that obedience in the right thing always costs less than disobedience in the wrong things. God's inviting us into obedience. He did the same thing for Zerubbabel. He's doing the same thing for us. And then in Zerubbabel's September moment, where nobody around him had any enthusiasm for what was going on, we commit to enthusiasm for what our king is doing. Like, we don't just invest in obedience. We don't invest in doing the right thing. We invest in seeing lost people meet Jesus. We invest in following God as he pulls people to himself. Like, God calls himself a king many times. Jesus says he's coming to establish his kingdom. And if there's a king in charge, he's got a lot of work to do. There's 8 billion people on the planet who need to know about Jesus. And so the king is always doing things, but there's one thing that the king stops for. It's been our theme verse for this whole campaign. Let's go ahead and put it on the screen. It says, we had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead and he's come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. As we invest, we invest now, locally, globally, nationally, and in eternity for lost people to get saved. For it not just to be about bigger and better here. But instead, it's leveraging our ability and our interests and our finances and men and women meeting Jesus and meeting the king. And if you think, well, that, that's good for other people. Like, I, I'm not a high roller. I, I barely roll. Like, this has been a month. It's just, we've all got influence. And when the king is in charge of our influence, the king does whatever he wants with our influence, and he uses it better than we could. We've got our Thanksgiving service next week. Uh, which is going to be talked about a bunch. And next week, you're going to show up, and you're going to smell the turkey. And you're going to see people after service eating. And if you come for second, you're going to see all the people who just finished first walking out, being so glad that they're here. And you know what you're going to think? You're going to think, man, I'm really glad I invited those people to come with me this week. That I didn't forget like I have every other year before, but I'm going to invite people this week. And the reason that they're going to come and say yes is because you've got influence in their life. As we commit with enthusiasm to what our king is doing, God uses us. God uses us as, a, as his ambassadors going into the world to bring people to himself. That's how he's always done it for 2,000 years, is sending people into the world to rescue men and women from sin and to pull them into a relationship with him. There's a moment where Jesus did this. There's a guy who's living by himself. He's terrorized by demons. He's running around a graveyard naked, uh, and it's not even Portland. So there it's, it's weird, and people are like, somebody needs to do something about this. And so Jesus comes, and he frees him. And afterwards, the guy says to Jesus, I want to go with you. I want to go do this again. And Jesus says something different to him. 
says, the man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him home saying, no, go back to your family and tell them everything that God has done for you. Hold on, don't click yet. So how do you think the guy replies? He just got rejected by Jesus. He's a little bit vulnerable. They threw some clothes on him in this moment. But he says, I want to go. And God with skin on says, no, no, I, I don't want you here. Like some of us would, like we, back to the graveyard. That's for us. Just whip the thing off and back to the graveyard. Like because, like we just got told no. But Jesus realized this guy's got influence. And so what happens? Let's go to the next one. So he went throughout the town proclaiming the great things that Jesus had done for him. He does exactly what Jesus tells him. It's such a great picture. I like, I'm, I'm thinking about it, okay? So you're walking through town and, and the guy's like, hey, do you, do you remember... You remember the naked guy who used to run through the graveyard and all that stuff? Yeah, I remember that. Well, that's me. But you're clothed now. I know. Let me tell you about it. And then he's going to, like, go into his story and everything. He's enthusiastic about the things that the, king's, the king is enthusiastic about. There's life change that dominates his fear, and it moves him into action. And there's no difference between a life like that and a life like ours. We put our influence, our ability in Jesus' hands, and he uses it for his glory. And then Zerubbabel's October moment, where they finish the, they finish the foundation and look around, and it, it's just bad. What they're doing is they're generously planting in the moment for something that's going to be harvested later. And for us to follow God, to live like Zerubbabel in this, we commit to generously planting hope and harvesting God's glory. And the, the, the more that we zoom in on small instances of our lives, everything looks really, really bad. Like we look at this one part from Zerubbabel's life. They finish the foundation. They go look at the temple and the old people are crying and nobody's really excited. But it's the beginning. I think when, uh, when we bought this property in 2018, we got a picture of what it used to look like. Uh, it was so exciting. And... If you were here in 2018, we had roughly uh, 57 different move-in dates, right, JD? About that many times. It's going to be ready by Labor Day. We were right. We just had the year really, really wrong. So eventually, I just stopped telling dates, if you remember that, because it was super depressing. Like, everything was taking longer. And then turns out that it wasn't just the building that needed some work. Uh, there was also some flooding that was... Uh, happening. Um, that's not Mississippi. It actually rained that much here, and all of the water went to one spot in the driveway that didn't drain. So now when you drive in and it's raining and everything like that, that's because we did a ton of work to make that happen. And then it started right around March of 2020. And so like our project, and we had the before pictures, and then we had the after pictures. Let's go to the after picture. It kind of looked worse than the before picture. And a lot of us are thinking, what on earth is happening? And now we're here. Because there's a moment where we begin to trust that God knows what he's doing. And I was thinking about this this week. Like, everybody has their miracle story about how, like, they just gave us the keys and we moved in. And it was perfect. And we grew to 5,000 overnight. And it was just great. Here's what struck me this week. If you know anything about shopping and the way that the money is going right now, God did a miracle for us because we did all that work on 2019 prices. 
and not right now. And I called people to, to figure out what it was. God saved us $500,000 by starting the process four years ago. Like nobody's buying steel beams in 2023. None of us are buying these steel beams in 2023. We bought those a long time ago when gas and everything else was a lot less. So yeah, we went through all that time of, of the after looking way worse than the before uh, because God had a plan to spare a church our size. $500,000 because he's good and he knows everything. And it's kind of like this. Like, so if this is all eternity, okay, over there and then we're here for this. When we talk about using our finances and the opportunity not just to, to take care of stuff here, but also to send stuff ahead, like we can look at our lives and say, okay, so far God has taken care of everything that got me to here. And he really is true when he says that he's going to meet all of our needs, that if we seek first his kingdom, he's going to take care of everything else. We give towards everything that's over here. We don't always give toward the moment because sometimes the moment is nasty and sometimes it depends on a miracle from God to pull it all through. We give towards everything else that we can't see because we're harvesting and hope or we're planting and hope and we're harvesting in generosity and harvesting in God's glory. Who does things like delay a project to save a church $500,000? God does. Because he's committed to watching over what we do and he tells us, that we can test him, that we can trust him, that it's okay to obey fearfully because he's going to match our obedience with provision and walk us out of fear. That we can commit to planting generously and harvesting glory, harvesting his glory, not just our own. And as we do that, we get to celebrate the commitment to living under God's open heaven. We're, re we're obediently bringing our lives under God's blessing. We're following God over the God of money. We're following God over the God of fear. We're following our God over the God of greed and materialism. We're following him and we're sending our treasures ahead, trusting that he's gonna use everything that, release, that we release to him to continue to grow his church. So what does that look like for us? A few things, go ahead and put it up is we're gonna put solar up here. We're gonna hire some more staff and we need money to do that. And we wanna work on some site improvements. When is that gonna be? From December of this year to January of 2025. So it goes over three tax years. And how are we gonna do that? It's $180,000 beyond tithing. And that means two things. First off is if you're not tithing yet, my challenge to you is to begin. You're inviting God's blessing into your finances. You're putting his yoke, which always costs, on your shoulders and in your wallet because obedience to him is better than disobedience and living by our own ideas and our own power. And then when we begin that, it's $180,000 beyond giving out of generosity. And so far, what's already been committed is $159,200 from people in this room, people who call this place home. There's a group of us who have said, okay, we're going to make this happen. We're going to be the first ones in. We're going to ask God, what do you want me to give? And then we're going to respond to that. And the reason why we ask God, what are we going to give? 
is because God knows everything. And he knows the number that's right for you and the number that's right for me. And he knows that for us to write a big number and feel bad about it and scared about it and that not be the number from God doesn't glorify him. What glorifies him is God being revealed as our savior, as our leader, as our Lord, as the one who's gonna tell you and me exactly what to do because he sees all of it and he knows exactly for all of us what's best for us. Why are we gonna do this? We're gonna do this so that as a campus, our faith in who God is as our Lord and our leader and the one who is ultimately driving the ship is gonna grow. In the meantime, we're gonna invest resources so that we can reach more people around here, so that we can divert money that's been going to PG&E and start paying ourselves in a few years. And for God to receive glory in all of this. We're gonna close today with two things. In a little bit, we're gonna take communion. Communion is God taking the first step toward you and toward me. There's two things on there. There's bread, which represents Jesus's body, which absorbed your sin and mine, past, present, and future. That you and I are separated from God because of our sins. And so God sent Jesus on the world to, Jesus into the world to rescue the world from their sins, to rescue you and me from everywhere where we had run from God. God sent Jesus into the world for that. And so the bread represents Jesus' body that absorbs the wrath of God, that pays for our sins, past, present, and future. But we didn't just end at paid. The juice represents Jesus' blood, which was given to establish a new covenant between God and humanity. God is remaking us family with himself. We're not just okay with God. We're sons and daughters. We're invited back into the family because of the blood of Jesus. So I want us to take communion. When you finish communion, you can drop your card uh, here if you have it filled out. You can drop it in this white box here. And that's going to be our commitment. This is what I'm going to give over the next 14 months. This is how God is going to use me. This is how I'm responding to God speaking to me about obedience, about generosity on top of obedience. You can drop that in today. And before we do that, we're going to read some stuff off the screen. This is our declaration of living faith dependent on God today. Let's read this out loud. God, thank you, God, for the divine exchange that took place on the cross. You paid for all my sin and rendered it void and powerless. I plead the blood of Jesus over my financial life, not only my life, but the life of my whole family and church family. Sin no longer has power over us. Today, we celebrate your sacrifice by taking communion with a grateful heart. You paid for my unbelief, so now I am believing in word and deed that you are my provider. You paid for my fear, so now I am trusting you with all of the resources you have asked me to manage. You paid for my entitlement mentality, so now I am thriving no matter what my current financial reality is. You paid for my greed, so now I am living open-handed. You paid for my hopelessness, so now I am dependent on you to supply all my needs. You paid for my deception, so now I am living in truth, transparency, and honesty. You paid for my poverty mentality, so now I am sharing in your abundance. You paid for my need to control, so now I am surrendering all of my finances to you. 
You paid for my apathy, so now I am self-controlled under the power of the Holy Spirit. You paid for my past financial sin, so now I am forgiven and free. You paid for my rebellion, so now I am living as part of your body, and together we fund your great commission. Hallelujah. We have been set free. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you for what you have done for us. Thanks for coming into our world. Thank you for suffering on a cross. Thank you for allowing your body to be taken over by sin so that ours could be taken over by your righteousness. If you're here today and you've never made the decision to ask Jesus to come into your life to save you from your sin, I want to give you that chance today. And you're not saying you're perfect. You're agreeing with every Jesus follower in here that all of us down to the individual are all sinners in need of a savior. And Jesus is our savior. If that's you today and you've never made the decision to say yes to Jesus, I just want you to look at me and raise your hand when I count to three. And if today's your day to say yes to him, then someone's going to pray with you and you're going to become a Christian today. So one, God loves you. He always has. He always will. And today he's calling you to follow him. Two, there's things in all of our lives, mine included, where we sin. There is sin in my life and there is sin in your life. And that's why Jesus came, to forgive us for our sin and to bring us into a relationship with God. And three, today's your day to say that's me. Is there anyone like that where today's your day to say yes to Jesus, to begin a relationship with him?